ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew Studios and Danube Productions bring you The Conduit, bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. This episode, our guest is music producer and ace DJ, DJ Newmark from Globe Trotting Hip Hop Giants Jurassic 5. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. Your program is about to begin. All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode six of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today, my guest is DJ Newmark known primarily along with Cut Chemist as the DJ producers behind Los Angeles hip hop legends, Jurassic Five. However, in addition to J5, Uncle New as he's called, has gone on to produce tracks for Method Man from Wu-Tang Clan, Slim Kid Trey from The Far Side, Aloe Black, Charles Bradley, Hilltop Hoods, and many others. In addition to helping score music for film, like The Green Zone with Matt Damon, Hollywood Homicide with Harrison Ford, and Ride Along 1 and 2 with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart. Newmark's now legendary Zodiac track series has blown minds since its debut and landed him the role of house DJ on TBS's Drop the Mic show, which in turn led to the release of his single Zodiac Killer, featuring Method Man that yours truly got to play on. But wait, that's not all. Never satisfied, always learning, and never resting on his laurels, Newmark started releasing his own Crate Expectations sample packs, followed by the release of his Creme de la Crate pack for Ableton, giving up-and-coming producers top-notch sounds to work with. Above all, though, DJ Newmark is a testament to the fact that a solid work ethic, good ears, and people skills can afford you a life surrounded by music and talented people. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with the one they call DJ Newmark. Yo, yo, yo. yo, yo. Newmark, welcome yo. to The Conduit, man. Man, it's so good to be here with you, Dan. Thank you for taking the time and being here, man. Yeah, the pleasure's mine. Thank uh, you for having me. Thanks, brother. Well, so I kind of start with everybody. Uh, you're, I found out, just about two months older than me, born in 71, which is yes, paradoxical because I look older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to kind of talk about the influence in your house growing up and music you heard, brothers or sisters, what your mom and dad were listening to, all that kind of good stuff. How, was, uh, how did DJ Newmark's musical taste develop in the household? In the house, there wasn't a whole lot. My mom... Okay. Uh, had her Persian records, you know, nice. not that that's not a whole lot. It's just was very different from what was happening in the, in the States and what was happening around me and at school and, you know, what kids were listening to. So yeah. she, she would be like in the living room listening to her belly dance music and Iranian, uh, Turkish, Ooh, um, yeah. a lot of Arabic music, a lot of Arabic music. Um, nice. That's good. and so that was playing in the background, but I hadn't developed a taste for that, nor did I have a taste for Persian food at that age. <laughs> I'm oh, yeah. talking at a young age here. Later on, I went crazy over the, both the music, the food, the whole everything. But, uh, you know, young, right. you're like, wait, what is, you know? Yeah. That said, um, my father was very much into, you know, classic 50s rock and roll, you know, okay. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I didn't get a whole lot of musical influence at home. It was in elementary school and in junior high where everything just 
happened yeah. for me. And, and it was uh, thanks to a very good friend of mine by the name of Chris Cook, who was uh, he played bass okay. in my uh, junior high band class. Oh, cool. And I played drums in the junior high band class. And he was like, yo, are you up on, you know, UTFO? Are you up on like all these <laughs> hip hop groups that he, he was listing off? And I'm like, man, I was like mimicking like, like Led Zeppelin breaks in my, you know, bedroom at the time. I wasn't really hip to, to hip hop in, uh, yeah. at that age. Uh, I think I was 80. Fuck, that was, uh, I forgot. I, I want to say 85. You know, yeah. I, I heard things, but, you know, I heard Rapper's Delight. I heard things around the block, but it hadn't, like, hit me, hit me until my best friend. Right, that, right. He was my musical influence, and he brought me in. Oh, so man, it, it cool. didn't happen at, at, at the house. It happened at school. Right. <laughs> Similar for me, too. Yes. Wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, so what were, like, the first uh, artists you heard that were just like, holy crap, like, I want to start doing something like that? Were there specific ones you could rem you could remember? Where I was like, I want to do music. I want to sound like that, or I want to, yeah. Um, yeah. I I think the the very first group was UTFO because Mixmaster Ice was, you know, he was, well, he was the ninja on the turntables. He was incredible, yeah. and it was the first concert. My no, it's my second concert. My mother ever, you know, took me to. She drove me and my boy Chris Cook that I just was telling you about yeah. all the way to Anaheim to see UTFO, Sir Mix a Lot, Egyptian Lover, and uh, there was another act. I'm just not coming to me right now. And I was like, you know, me and Chris talk about it all the time now. Like, wow, how, how sweet was she to bring us there when I was 13? That's so uh, seeing live performance on turntables, you know, through Mixmaster Eyes and seeing the MCs do what they do, you know, Kangle Kid and EMD yeah. and, you know, all, all those guys. I was just like, what? Like, you know, because before that, like as a little boy, I was like, I want to be in a rock group, you know, yeah. I want to be in a funky group of some sort, you know, like as a drummer, yeah. as a drummer, yeah. like I always wanted to be in the back behind my hat, you know, hiding. And um, <laughs> once I got introduced to, to turntables through Chris again, because uh, yeah. his uncle was a DJ that would come back and forth from uh, L.A. to uh, from New York to L.A. Uh, okay. Once I saw him on turntables, I was like, wow, can I do this? It was like, it, is it, this is possible. Like, so it just. Um, yeah. After that, it was house parties, and, and then it just became a little bit more realistic for me, you know? Dang, man. So was UTFO the first time you'd actually seen someone rocking doubles and using turntables? Like, live. aside from hearing it on records and stuff? Uh, live, yes. Like, at a yeah. concert, yes. And I had seen other clips of things and heard a okay. lot of records. I started buying records pretty early, you know, 13 years old, yeah. you know, 12, 13. I forgot what year that was. But um, yeah. so I was buying a lot. So, but, you know... At that time, you know, obviously there was no internet, and it was just such a weird era. We would get, I feel like, songs about two months or three months later than New York. So, like, everything was kind of late here in L.A., so we were always yeah. playing catch-up, you know. Right. So, uh, I would buy, <laughs> I was one of those guys that would buy, like, the whole catalog in in yeah. uh, a record label. So, Select Records <laughs> was UTFO's label, so I'd buy all the select records whistle yeah. and all the other groups and so it was just one of those things i was, I was like 
you know, I think one of my friends came over and was like, uh, you have anything else in here besides this catalog? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. I probably should, should buy some Run DMC and some other shit at this point. But You're, you're a completist um, in, in our I circle. Guess so. There's a few of those. <laughs> I guess so. I'm not a completist now. I just fill holes in my collection that I like. But I mean, yeah, it was just, you know, being naive and young and, and trying to discover things and find sure. the, the nook that made me happy, you know, in hip hop. So, David. Wow. So you were buying records that early. That's incredible. Yeah. I, re I remember buying some, but it was like Kiss Alive, maybe. And like, I think The Clash, you know, when they did Combat Rock and all that. That came nice. out. I remember yeah. buying that. But those were Stray Cats. Those were a couple of my first ones. Stray Cats. Wow. Man. What were, what were the first ones that kind of made huge impacts on you that you bought with your own money? Records you bought. Do you remember? Um. Well, I'll, uh, UTFO, Roxanne, Roxanne, that whole album. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Spoonie G, Spoon and Rap. Fat Back Band. I, oh, yeah. I caught, because I heard, you know, and of course, Rapper's Delight. I heard Rapper's Delight, and everyone was saying, well, Fat Back Band was actually the OG OG. And I was like, come on, man. That's like a, you know, funky. <laughs> group from the 70s you know this is before i had appreciation for that and realized that there was so much being taken from the 70s so you know sure. naive i'm like what i don't know 14 15 i don't know probably 14 at this stage yeah. and so i went back and i was like oh shit this is probably the first rap you know so that it was right. it was a contender for the first rap but and i think it might still be considered the first rap um yeah. yeah king james um so yeah those are the first ones i really remember and then I, I ventured out into like you know lisa lisa and the cold jam and things that were happening locally in la you know right that was like sure. very much um you know house party driven songs at that time you know the expose shit and all, all that craziness just just to see what right. it was doing and i and i actually got really into the up-tempo stuff and when miami bass came around i actually got really into it because of the sheer um I think the, the power of it and, the, and really the sonics of it, that's really what I'm trying to say. The way they EQ'd it, mm. you know, 808 yeah. was very prevalent. And that was, you know, as we know, very, um, it knocked the hardest. I guess it's still knocking the hardest today, right? Shit. Um, so it just kind of threw me off. Like, yo, what is this drum machine? And then, you know, actually to, t to rewind a little bit, I bought my first drum machine. I bought yeah. a drum machine before I bought turntables. Okay, so I was programming. Yeah, I was programming a, a Roland... Uh, 606 in my band class class with my boy uh, chris like when you know the you know orchestra conductor was working on horns or something i would have my headphones on playing yeah. with that little drum machine like trying to figure out what i heard on k-day you know like like right. what, what is this like what what are these chains what are what are these sequences like i didn't understand sure. how it was changing every fourth bar i didn't get it so i was and then the sounds were just fucking me up and i couldn't find the 808 i didn't know it was called an 808 so yeah i started there first and then i got some beat up servo turntables belt drives that were like <laughs> yeah. great way to learn i mean because it was they're fucking almost impossible to mix on at some point oh yeah 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 well yeah i was gonna ask you about that because you've always been like someone who you i mean whenever i'd see you with j5 you always had some crazy shit wired up so i was like your your interest in kind of finding out how things work and building your own stuff seems to have started pretty early yeah, I you know it was it was from fantasizing really because uh, I always thought, being naive and really young, that they were playing the drum machine live. I didn't realize it was like mm. sequencing, 
Right. <laughs> Until right. I got that drum machine and really started to figure it out. I'm like, oh, duh. Like, so I, I was, but so then it made me think, you know, I, I remember saying to my friends really young, like, wouldn't it be cool if they were like just playing the drum machine? Like, because yeah. I was a drummer, so I'm thinking like that, right? Sure. So I was like, wouldn't it be yeah. cool if like, you know, the rappers were, you know, MCs were rhyming their parts and the guy in the back was actually playing the drum machine and maybe yeah. there's another guy on turntables? Like, that would be cool. And they're yeah. like, yeah, you think too much new and, you know. <laughs> basketball you know basketball players and whatever like they weren't really into music you know they were just they, they liked hip-hop but you know it, right. for me it was like whoa you know like my mind was blown I, and i still have that that um childlike you know uh playfulness this happen yeah, yeah I, I think that's what keeps me creative is the 13 year old that still lives in me and um it, the, right. the sense of wonderment is is what keeps me alive in this business yeah man well, were you fixing stuff up in the garage when you were a kid or were you, what were your other projects before you got into drum machines and turntables? Were you, were you kind of inquisitive with how things worked before, before that? I, I wish I could say yes. I really wasn't. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not handy at all, which still irks me to this day. It's like, you know, that, that surprises me. Thing of, be a, thing of being a man, like I want to fix things and I always, and I always try. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I give it yeah. the college try, Dan. But I always seem to botch it up in some way because I get impatient or I'm thinking about fucking music. So like my, my mind is always distracted and I hear things. And so I have a hard time focusing on one small thing. I was like, oh, we got to fix the kitchen cabinet drawer or whatever. So I get distracted because I'm hearing melodies and ideas in my head all the time. So I, I lose my patience is what I'm, what I'm getting at. Um, <laughs> but no, I, but I was always like, pulling pots and pans down and hitting them. And my mom be like, shut the fuck up enough with this, you know, or I remember countless <laughs> yeah. times the teacher, like, I, you remember the little milk cartons they used to give us at school? They're like the little yeah. joints, you know, that yeah. like the quarter, you know, Yeah, totally. totally. I remember setting in those too. Yeah. I remember like, you know, I set up like four of those and we're using them as Tom's like on my <laughs> desk. And the, the teacher's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? You know, like, I remember one teacher always like, come on, man, like enough, like enough with the tapping. I was always like, tapping on yeah. the desk and just it just lived in me and I, I just had to get it out in some way i always think it would be funny if like all of us who were doing that back then because i was definitely tapping on shit and driving teachers crazy yeah uh, we're all in the same classroom oh god yeah <laughs> they would have just their heads would have exploded it would have made a great group <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well you were talking about how seeing utfo was the first time you saw um a dj really do his thing live i'm wondering back in the day obviously we grew up pre-youtube and being able to find whatever footage of anything you want at the you know click of youtube but uh did you go about finding like vhs tapes of footage of groups or where were you yeah. where were you watching this stuff yeah your friends that... that were collectors your buddy was a collector of that stuff too yeah, you know, for a long time, it was like Beat Street was the movie, right? You know, Breaking right. came out, and I was annoyed at Breaking. I, I, I didn't think it was a true depiction of hip-hop, and I guess maybe it yeah. was in some sorts in L.A., but I saw way iller shit in L.A. Shit, yeah. even being in the Valley. Being at the U.A. Theater <laughs> as a kid, there used to be a, you know, that's like on, you know, in North Hollywood. There would be tons of kids that would flock there in 84 85 something like that and yeah. i would see ridiculous breakers you know and yeah. I, then breaking came out and i was like this is what they're doing at venice beach really is like it, it just <laughs> didn't seem right like it, i'm like how's the valley iller than venice there's that that can't be you know so right. i realized you know hollywood uh played its part in that and sure. um 
once breaking came out, I was like, oh shit. And then I kind of backtracked. I was taping all those on VHS. I would, you know, when they would come on, right. I, would, I would have tapes of them. And yeah. then someone kept telling me about Wild Style. Wild Style, one of my boys that lived in New York and moved to um, LA uh, to go to school, where I went to school. And, uh, mm. He was like, yo, man, aren't you up on Wild Style? I'm like, what the fuck is that? And he was telling me that. And then the Grandmaster Flash scene, I was like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, all the pieces <laughs> kind of came together. And I realized how much I had to go back how much i miss in those like eight nine years or whatever i missed right. you know because it you got to think like 85 86 87 you know th those er that era was the birth of so many different things or at least it's right. when uh, those different genres came into fruition you know right. it, you know, we had new wave music that was brand new you know beatboxing was new breakdancing was new rapping was yeah. new djing was new what the fuck is a mixer you know, like yeah. everything was brand new. And so it was super exciting for a young nerd like myself. I was like, oh, my right. God, come yeah. on, man. So <laughs> I, 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 I was part of the, the pinnacle of it, I guess, or the, the part of the like, it's here, it's now, you know. Um, it was starting to become commercialized. Sure. A lot of groundbreaking stuff was happening when we were in junior high. Yeah, it was starting to be commercialized. So I was like, God, well, what have, what were the roots like? And then when they would say, play some yeah. old school, by the time 88 hit, when I was starting to do house parties, yeah, they would play some old school. I was like, yeah, cool. Because I, I made sure I went back and collected as much as I could or as much as I could yeah. find out about. I would go to Jersey every year oh, from yeah. like 80, oh God, from like 80 five till 89 i went to jersey Dang. every year because that's where my cousins lived and so i'd be like oh, okay. we got to go to this record store we got to try this we got to go into the city <laughs> i would be like that annoying cousin and because we just but didn't get it some out records here. yeah i got some heat got some heat <laughs> that's crazy do you remember the record stores and which ones you used to go to out here now, too i i don't remember the stores because they were random and i didn't have any friends yeah. that knew what was up out there and my cousins were yeah. so not into hip-hop so oh, okay. um and i was like i want to see some good graph and i want to i want to go to a music store so i mean they were like just generic stores but it was way better than what was happening in la gotcha, uh, gotcha. so i took what i could get dang man well so how did you first start kind of figuring out how to do what they do on turtles how did you figure out about you know rocking doubles and mixing and beat matching and everything like what who did you look to how did you kind of get your bearings you know before you started just as you were building your skills yeah were there particular um, people you looked to or how did you figure it out there was a you know a series of different things that happened like grandmaster T dst you know yeah on his on the award show you know i was like okay well that's cool i, I watched it but before then i was listening yeah. And I was constantly picking up the needle and going, did he move like the volume off on that part? Like, and so for me, I, I learned through audio, like a, anytime I had to read something, oh, okay. <laughs> I would gotcha. tune out when a teacher do a, did a speech, I would tune in. Um, so yeah, I would have to listen to it on record more than anything else. Uh, actually yeah. sometimes seeing the visual shows or the visual uh, 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 demonstrations confused me a little bit. It, it was okay. listening to it where I understood that a chirp scratches when you take the fader out just right before it goes, you know, forward or whatever, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. So it, I could hear it like on Jazzy Jeff, 
cutting on on the Jazz Jeff and the Fresh Prince album. I, I can hear things. I can hear Mixmaster Ice doing certain things with the ah sound from you know uh, Fat Five Freddy record or whatever. Um, I I could pick it up easier there. And doubles, I just understood the first time I heard it. I was like, oh cool, yeah. they're taking it back to the one. And I right. knew the one from playing drums. So that was that came right. easy to me. And I'm surprisingly not huge on doubles. I should really be great at doubles, and I just am not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or at least I don't take enough time and practice it, I guess. Um, but I, it was marking the records that I didn't understand, you know, like, uh, oh. And yeah. then the, the visual of that helped. And um, I think seeing that um, on the early DMC battles, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cash Money and Steve D, who was like the first person I saw really beat Juggle. That that's when I was like, oh, they're marking the fucking records. Aladdin, I saw his markers really clean. I was like, oh, they're bringing it to yeah. twelve o'clock, or they're bringing it to three o'clock, like every time. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. So talk about talk to me about uh, as you were getting your your skills were improving. And uh, you were getting asked to play parties and all that. Where were some of those? Talk to me about uh, kind of figuring out how performing worked and what to do with a live performance when you had the stage. Yeah, um, I kind of transferred what I learned from drumming in, in junior yeah. high. I used to get into drum battles in junior high. Okay. Um, and so I remember like how to interact with the crowd kind of uh, in that yeah. battle, you know, eye contact and. Ah, uh, yeah. So where were you? Where were you doing that? School. The school had like talent shows and stuff, and they put yeah, you instead of the drummers. I was there. Was two drummers, two of us as drummers in the jazz band, and you know, oh, te wow. teachers being politically correct. Well, we we well, you guys, you guys could both be drummers, you know, and <laughs> yeah. we would be. I'd be like, I'm better than him. He's better than me. And then it was a huge kid too. Like he was like, I was always really scrawny. I was always the smallest kid in my class, so he was like huge over his drum set and i could barely you could barely see my eyes you know under the tom toms you know so i was like kermit the frog and so we always had drum drum battles and like you know the auditorium and all the school would watch and be like no wow. you got him you know oh wow that's crazy so it started where was from, this what school was this where where'd you go to junior high i went to madison junior high in okay. uh, in the valley yeah yeah okay. uh, but uh yeah, so I mean, to start from that, and then I started doing all the house parties, and it just um, I had a day job at Carvel Ice Cream and did house parties on the weekend. I made more doing house parties than I did at Carvel, and would do everything from weddings to a lot of like backyard parties, and you know, parties where the you know, had the jungle juice and people in your face like play Toddy T, you know, and play King <laughs> T, play you know, all the West right. Coast shit. It was like. Uh, a lot of gangsters too, uh, trying to prove themselves because it was the valley. So it was like they mm. had more to say. I remember one time our DJ coffin got shot up, not purposefully because there was a shootout at the party. Oh, no. <laughs> and our and our DJ setup just happened to be in the way. Oh, so thank God we thank weren't. Thank God you weren't in the way. Yeah, man. word. Uh, so you know, those are some of the early experiences. You know, but what I love about that era, out. I wouldn't trade it for anything because it taught me how to take requests. Right. And, you know, you see a lot right now online about DJs like, I don't take requests, fuck requests, I'm not your jukebox, yada, yada, yada. And, like, yeah. I look at it now and I'm like, wow, that's what a brave new world, you know, how convenient yeah. <laughs> that you could say you don't want a request. Because I remember, like, I growing know. up, I had to take them at a house party with a gangster standing over you with a 40. <laughs> 
You're taking the fucking request. You know, you're you're gonna play paid dues. You know, you're gonna play these songs. You know, and so it was really good um, uh, training wheels for me because I needed to learn very quickly what crates to bring. And I always had about seven to eight crates with me, or me and my crew, I should say. Yeah. And it learned, it taught me how to access those records quickly, how to thumb through them quickly and know where everything was. Yeah. Um, so my organization skills became paramount at, at a very early age. Yeah. And, and it, it taught me how to weave in the song no matter what BPM I was sitting at. So I had to find a conduit, a way to get from 90 BPM to the request, which was at 110. Right. Um, and, and still move the party, still keep the ladies on the floor, you know, because mm-hmm. they were the, the, the life of the party yep. every time they were the, the bloodline. The girls line. are dancing <laughs> and the dudes are dancing. Absolutely, G. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was one of those things that I, I learned about finesse. I learned about uh, the psychology of DJing. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I've done like such a minuscule amount of DJing compared to you and some of the dudes we know. But the 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 request thing is like, it's an interesting thing. Like, it can be something where it makes perfect sense. You want to make people happy and you want to have people have a good time, but then you get people who come up to you and like, can you play, you know, had a few to drink. Can you play this? And I'm like, I just played like three songs by that person. Yeah. Or, or it's just such an outlandish request that it's like, come on, like I'm not going to play, you know, Persian Anthem trance tonight. It's not happening. (laughs) You know, it's just like, you know, it's gotten crazy the requesting has gotten crazy don't get me wrong it just was like a great way for me to get fucking socked in my mouth and learn how to dj like it was it was it was the way to do it especially in a um backyard or at someone's parents house when they were out of town in that setting where people it's just like there's no supervision everyone oh that whole shit when that's (laughs) happening you gotta you gotta deliver totally Wow. So did you write out the gate after you bought turntables and a mixer? Did you go, go in on a PA? Like that was one of the first things you bought too? Or Yeah, that was all part of it. Part? So every yeah. every bit of money that I made from DJing, I poured right back into getting speakers with my boys with um, yeah. uh, Amani. You know Amani, DJ Burt Blackerack. So that was like the guy I cut Dang. my teeth with. So yeah. that's how we met, you know, through, through doing that. And it was like three or four other guys with us in the crew. So uh, we'd go to different parties and it's like okay we made 250 dollars <laughs> let's get some records or let's we need a new amp or well, amps yeah. were always an issue um speakers were always an issue uh, his father i think gave us some some uh they weren't were they vegas i want to say they were Sarah and vegas but they were the mids to a huge system so we never had the right mm. amount of bump so we're always oh. kind of cha- you know all the problems you go through so we you know ground wire problems to the turntables, you know, mixer problems because it's static. Yeah. Not the right amp, not the right speakers, but you, you're learning as you go and you're getting your ass kicked, but you're... Oh, yeah. It's like the whole time there's some there's some adverse thing in your face, but the era totally. made it all worth it. The era, um, you know, carrying the crates wasn't easy, all that. You hear people talk about that now a lot, but yeah. it, the era and the excitement and the encouragement from your peers at school made it fucking yeah. unfucking paralleled like... Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy how, I mean, it's obviously, it's the same thing, performing music, whether you're playing records or if you're playing an, a guitar or whatever, but that excitement is the same, man, and learning how to work with a crowd. Yeah. Exactly. And carrying the shit part is yeah. like uh, the other fun part that we have in common. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Breaking your back when you're 20. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dang. 
Well, so um, you're rocking backyard parties with your DJ crew. And um, when is kind of what are your first experiences uh, with MCs on the mic? Are people just jumping on at parties or yeah. when did you first kind of decide to get something together like for real and establish kind of like your own little crew with MCs? Yeah. So, well, I mean, there was always like, you know, MCs jumping on at the party and yeah. thinking they can rhyme or freestyle whatever so that was cool right. but you know the house party thing died out and as 90 91 rolled in i was starting to kind of wanting to branch into like playing clubs in hollywood because i never played a club yeah. and i knew it was a completely different feel and I, I learned very quickly how how tough it was just the transition not how tough it is to rock a club but the transition from doing a house party to a club is a different feel. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to do a, like a discussion with some people about this. Actually, it'd be kind of fun to see the, the difference of the from old school cats. You know what that transition transition was like for them. But uh, yeah. fast forward a little bit in ninety shit. I don't know what it's ninety three. I think um, I was DJing at this spot called Rat Race, where the promoter John Asbell and his band would invite mm -hmm. MCs to rhyme or perform or freestyle. Uh, in front of his band so like you know live band mcs so right. that's where i met um uh, cut well that's where i met all jurassic five really but it was two different groups at that time it was yeah. rebels rhythm and unity committee and right. i met cut specifically at a rehearsal studio um for that night and i had a wah-wah pedal hooked up to my turntables and he was like yo dj hendrix you know <laughs> so we hit it off right away obviously <laughs> yeah exactly. so yeah um yeah and then you know uh we you know he had a song that he thought that rebels of rhythm which was i'll kill and soup would sound yeah. good on and meet his group with which was mark seven and charlie tuna yeah. so it was like two groups formed as one plus me I guess right. is the best way to explain it. Um, right. And then that was when, you know, rocking with MCs to get to your question kind of became a lot more serious and, and tangible because before that we had all been shopping demos and been denied. I was with, I learned how to dig through a cat named Brother Soul hmm. who had a gang of records and he ended up knowing all of like Lucas's cut chemist's samples when he was shopping his demo because he worked at Jive. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, oh shit, you used the so-and-so. So it was like six <laughs> yeah. degrees of separation or whatever. So. Right cut new records brother soul new records and so the transition from my my man brother soul to cut was very easy and it made sense and cut was uh, digging in the same way brother soul was um mm. except he was using he was producing more and gotcha. i was producing a lot at the time and i was you know trying to learn like all like we all were in the early 90s like yo, know, how do we fucking find the so-and-so break where's apache where's this you know incredible yeah. bongo band all, all this stuff was happening really quickly and you were trying to find the records and you, you couldn't yeah. believe that there was those outstanding drum breaks that actually lived out there you know what were we thinking in the 80s you know oh my god all this shit lives <laughs> like really lives and breathes from the late 60s early 70s like come on yeah. So we were just kind of playing catch up again and learning again. It was all learning, man. I'm still fucking learning. Um, and so, yeah, like working with J5 was a, a wonderful learning experience. And um, I'm very thankful for those guys for having me and um, yeah. being a part of that and being able to stretch my mind creatively and say, okay, this part of the show, I'm going to pass the baton to you. You know, I like being that guy where, we're yeah. going to have this big turntable and it opens up, you know, like I, I liked being that guy because you can't do it yeah. by yourself. You just a lot of the stuff I was doing with J5, you just can't do solo. So yeah. it was it, 
it led for a lot of dreaming and uh, and explore exploration and yeah right right making the yeah, amazing dreams come true so before let's let's jump back just a little bit so yeah you were already working on tons of beats and let, let's kind of talk about how you got into producing your own music and what your first tools were did you jump in with an sp12 or what was how did you how did you first start making beats did you produce any other beats with other groups before j5 let's talk a right. little bit about that and your process with creating beats yeah so uh my first drum machine was the roland 606 little gray one. i think it's oh, the 606 right, 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 is it right. the 626 no i think it's the 606 uh little gray one so that was my first one and then i went to the roland 707 which okay. in my opinion sounds like hot garbage, but I really was just looking for an 808. <laughs> you know, I was just looking for an 808. And I but I noticed that UTFO was using a lot of those sounds in yeah. their production. So I was like, oh shit, that's the kick drum. That's the snare, that's the cowbell. So I was like, okay, I'll mimic that thing. You know, show my friend, right. look, I did this UTFO beat. So I was mimicking just the drum patterns, but I didn't have any sampling gear, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then from the 707, I moved to the SP-12 which yeah. had 2.5 seconds of sampling time on it and a Commodore disk drive, <laughs> floppy yeah. disk in it, which really challenged me because it's hard to, you know, make anything with that um, sample time. And then totally. from there, shit, from there I went to an MPC-60. Uh-huh. And then I paired that with uh, an Emacs 2, which had a shitload of sampling time, and I had a blast with that it was fucking so yeah that was good and then i left that <laughs> and did an sp 1200 standalone hmm. and then i did sp 1200 and s950 which is a classic new york setup large professor you know yeah. digging in the crates guys you know you know easy mobi that was their setup you know so i was yeah. hearing that that was their setup and then i was hearing what the, how the midi mapping went and so i would emulate that i did that for a while and then i left all that and um went to an fpc 2000 because i had the sampling time everything was contained in one box right and that was what the bulk of my production was through the records that people would know me from through yeah. jurassic five really um, yeah. and as far as groups before them um i was shopping stuff like through that guy through uh brother soul i mentioned before we were shopping right. nothing was happening yeah. um not much else. There's another group I was a part of called Clockwork in junior in, in high school, but it was like just my original DJ crew and the MC that would run with us, this cat named Delight. Okay. Um, and, you know, we would get in battles and stuff like that, but he ultimately wasn't serious enough about MCing and broke my heart because <laughs> I really oh, wanted wow. to learn. I wanted to learn with him. And, you know, I was like, we yeah. can shop a demo. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was really not really much early um but yeah. during i i started to it, right before j5 became serious you know when it was like that first single that i mentioned what that cut made for the group right i was working at a label called correct records and i was exploring the business side i wanted to learn the business side more i needed to earn some money in my first apartment i had i was broke yeah. and um i was the college promotion guy slash a and r slash janitor slash anything you you can think of um yeah. to earn a buck there and so they were gracious enough to have me and i signed this uh cat named grav out of okay. chicago I, well yeah. he he played me some songs and i was like 
this is dope. I played it for some people. I even played it for some of the guys in J5. They liked it. Hmm. And uh, he played me one song, and I was like, yo, who produced that? And he's like, oh, this kid Kanye. Hmm. And I was like, so this is 1996, Dan. And so um, I was like, well, yo, if you finish the rest of the record with this kid Kanye, we'll put out your whole album, you know? And so he did. So half of that album is produced by Kanye, and that's Kanye's debut. Whoa, so, crazy. Yeah, so this is well before Dame Dash and Rockefeller and all that stuff or whatever. And um, right. I, I wanted to sign Kanye, but the label disbanded. Oh, so gotcha. I, I, I sometimes think about that. I'm like, oh, what, what kind of turn would his career would have taken if he was on Correct before <laughs> anything else? Like, So it's good right. that he went to Rockefeller because it's a much bigger imprint. But wow. um, that was my first introduction into the music industry. Like. Okay, yeah. learning how to cold call DJs. Like, look, I really need you to add this record, you know, on college promotion, you know. Put it at number one for this week, please, man. It's a good group, you know. I work yeah. with another group called Manish. I, I did, like, one beat for them and per, uh, yeah, DJed funny. for them on the road for a little bit, but it was, like, it, it didn't really turn into much. Um, J5 yeah. ended up taking over and uh, became very serious with the group. Incredible. So when you guys first started, um, let, let's jump into J5. You were talking about just the two groups, Unity Committee and Rebels of Rhythm, coming together and kind of forming this this coalition. Yeah. And uh, talk about um, the Good Life Cafe, how you guys started, how you how your first uh, recordings came out. But I want to hear about those first days at Good Life and kind of your first times performing together and how how you kind of honed what you did. Yeah. Okay. So I was probably the misfit in this conversation because I have only been to the good life probably three to five times. And it was with my previous crew, not with Jurassic five. It was with, Mm. you know, my boy G down, Amani, and, and, and we would drive out there, but you know, cars would break down and it was a long distance from the Valley, you know, back then. Right. Right. So it was, uh, I remember I saw, uh, Mike and I take out like four MCs in the parking lot one night. And I was like, holy shit, man, the, the buzz about fellowship is yeah. the real deal. I had heard the demo or the circulating album um, to whom it may concern yeah. and was like, yo, what's this five o'clock folly shit? This is insane. Like it, the whole thing was crazy. And that okay. was introduced to me through brother soul as well. So this was okay. still early. So I hadn't known J five then. Yeah. Um, Cut was, as you've seen in interviews, he was like the only white dude in the building. He was he represented. And I think him and him, Charlie and Mark, which were Unity Committee, did yeah. multiple performances from what I remember. Yeah. And I remember him getting once I met Luke, I remember him saying, yeah, we're going to perform Thursday. We're going to do this thing. We got I have this thing on a cassette we're going to do. And I was like, wow, man, cool. Good shit. Like um, how lucky you are to perform at Good Life. That's how I felt at the time. You know, yeah. I was very new to it. And, um, yeah, wasn't really part of it. So, yeah, I would never put myself in that situation. I was just a fan of it and have yeah. utmost respect for the, you know, B. Hall and Ava and, and uh, everybody that was a part of it that kept it going. Um, Jay right. Smoove, all those dudes. Um, yeah, it was a very important time in L.A. And it really, yeah. really pushed the creative boundaries for so many MCs. You know, not being able to curse that's a that's a fucking dope rule i mean it really pushes vocabulary <laughs> yeah. um yeah. It, it sets things straight and you wouldn't think it you know you would think oh why how stuffy but no look no don't curse can you can you put put together yeah. a cohesive rhyme or what what's right. up you know and so yeah. can you get around that yeah it was um a very special time and it, it 
again, it made me go, yep, it's okay to dream new. It's okay to explore. And, um, you know, that was shown through Fellowship's music at the time and that, that people were really trying to um, push the boundaries lyrically. Um, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I can't remember the, I'm sure Miles was the first one to play me Freestyle Fellowship, but I still have that, the the first EP, To Whom It May Concern, and it yeah. still blows me away. Five O'Clock Follies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they picked good beats. They had, they, they had it set up properly. It was, it was a proper demo. <laughs> Sunshine. Go four track. Yeah, boy, it's amazing <laughs> what people could do on a four track. Hey, man, but that just goes to show you with limits comes great creativity, right? You know, yeah. All that early J5 stuff was on an eight track, you know, at Cut's mom's house, you know, and so we were like, okay, yeah. we got to bounce this, we got to do this, we, you know, all that crazy shit he did with Lesson Six on eight track. I'm just like, man, this is like, goes so, to show you that you know the mind is the most most powerful tool. Like, we have so many tools now, and it's like I get overwhelmed with all the yeah. plugins. You know, I, I'm yeah. a plugin whore. I collect it all. Don't get me wrong, Dan, but damn, Same. like, to think what we were doing with so much less yeah i know i started with uh you know two 57s and an eight track cassette yeah and uh you know sergeant pepper was done on eight track so it's like all kinds yeah. of crazy sh you know creativity is the most important part yeah man that is the for sure well um the first release was unified revolution on tvt records uh that was started by steve gottlieb talk about signing with tvt what that deal looked like and how the machinery worked that release. Like, what did they do yeah. to help promote it? Yeah, I don't know if they did. But, if they did. Well, <laughs> well I, you know, actually, I didn't sign that deal because I was actually upset with the group and the deal. Like, you know, and I, and I they knew it. I voiced it. And they yeah. were like, well, fuck you then, new. <laughs> and they signed the deal. And, but it was a single deal. And yeah. I, I knew, and that was my gripe. It was like, nah, they should be taking us more seriously. And then working yeah. at correct records and working the kanye grav record out of chicago yeah i caught wind that they were treating us as an, they, they they in one of the college notes mm. from the label rep they said that this is a novelty group that's why they have a single deal uh -huh. so i we caught i told the group that i'm like come on man let's let's regroup everybody so while we re were requesting for them to drop us yeah. we were making the ep and by the yeah. time they finally dropped us and we were like, thank you, we appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You know, because they had rights to the next single or some shit like that. Uh. By the time they dropped us, we had the EP ready to go locked and loaded for a nice indie release. And, and that's what propelled us to um, travel the world. Um, I was also going to x-ray school at that time. Okay. And I uh, was a few months away from graduating and dropped out much, much to my mom's... Uh, anger she was like yeah. what the fuck are you doing are, yeah exactly. but uh <laughs> it all took off all at the same time everything just it, it, right place right time and you know they say timing is one of the main components of this business or i guess a lot of businesses but really the music business and um i am proud to say that i capitalized on saying fuck you to school because it was right for me. I'm not saying that to all the kiddies at home, but no, it was right for me. And it's all I could ever think about was music. It, it's my love, you know. And so yeah. it just all coincided at the right time. Well, you go to school to try and figure out your passion. And if you already have your passion, run with it. I wish you were my dad. 
<laughs> my dad would have probably actually, said what your dad said too. But. No, no, no. Actually, my dad was the realistic one. It was my mom that was like, no, push to do x-ray. You know, so I was oh. in school to do x-ray. You know, my dad was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You're a drummer. I saw you at the auditorium. Kick that guy's ass. <laughs> my dad was, and he, my dad was a speech teacher. So he's, you know, and he wanted to be an actor at one point. So I guess he, he deep down really understood yeah. what I was after and what I could, you know, achieve if I put my mind to it, you know, but I was, you know, chasing yeah. the backup plan, which could be dangerous, you know, yeah. sometimes putting all your eggs in one basket is just like the way to go, you know? Yeah, I guess so. It's crazy. The drumming thing, just to hop back to that for two seconds. But I often, you know, with me trying to figure out how to be a better DJ and learning, it's like, I don't know how I do it if I didn't have the music background. Cause it's like a lot of the times, songs have that fill that's whatever some little th three e and a four and you know what that timing is to lead into the next song right but like if you didn't have that drumming background how would you kind of you know how would you kind of navigate that it would be crazy like i just don't know how dudes who don't have the background in playing drums or instruments figure that out it's mind-blowing to me it's incredible yeah. it's just you know it's practice i mean yeah it yeah there's no there's you no uh there's no shortcut to any of this man it's like all practice True. and how many hours you put behind your craft how many hours you yeah. spend digging for records how many hours you spend trying to learn chords or yeah. you know like right now my whole thing is like don't touch your records are you mm. are you that dope where you can't touch your records and, I, and i'm learning you know through doing sample packs yeah with you thank you so much dan and oh, with man. with uh, other musicians and learning how to just do my own chords and noodling yeah. as I'm trying to navigate that world, you know, real late in life, but yeah. I'm doing it. And it's like the next chapter for me. It's exciting for me because, you know, yeah. I've avoided it because I used records as a crutch slash my fun. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's fun. And, you know, I mean, I think your spirit and what you said earlier about just like, you know, I, I never stop learning. I think that's kind of the, the common thread with so many of us. It's like, the minute you stop being a student, you're just, you, it's over. You know, you got to keep learning and keep pushing yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it for, for, I mean, you know, I, I, that Bernard Purdy tape that, you know, went viral after the internet really hit, you know, it was on cassette, yeah. um, excuse me, it was on VHS before. And I had it at my house hmm. and I would watch it all the time. And he was laughing behind the drums and talking <laughs> shit and that, that those blue pants and the big red shirt. He looked like fat Albert, you know, he's doing his shit. And like, I remember watching it and like, I was always, anybody that would come to my apartment at that time, this is when we were making quality control, by the way, with J5. Oh, okay. Anybody that came to my apartment saw that video and they would end up laughing <laughs> while enjoying his ridiculous rhythms. And yeah. uh, there's a part in there where he's talking about motivation. Yeah. And uh, when you, when you have uh Right. He was getting at writer's block, but he didn't use that terminology. And he was like, you know, if you're not in the mood to play drums, just do rudiments, you know? And he's like, yeah, going pop, 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 you know, just, just simple stuff. And like, so I took that to heart and I, I, I really listened to that part a lot because when you have a pressure of like, you got to deliver to your first major label, it's your debut yeah. album and you have that that pressure, you know, uh, compressing you into your next <laughs> adventure. Yeah. You want to be free. You want to be childlike. Like I said before, you want to be playful. And if you have too much stress around you, you're not paying the bills, whatever it is, yeah. you're not going to deliver, man. The studio absorbs what's around you and what's in your head, you know, True. and how you're feeling. It's a, it's a, 
spiritual moment with you behind the keyboard, with you behind the drum machine, with you in front of the mic, turntables, yeah. whatever it is, guitar, whatever you do. Yeah. So you got to be in the right mindset. And so, so those rudiments and watching that Bernard Purdy tape changed me. I remember playing it for B plus. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about ghost notes in that, in that uh, VHS and the B plus yeah. went ding, I'm going to name it yeah. ghost notes, you know, so I'm glad he <laughs> fed more minds than just mine you know oh man it's yeah. great shit absolutely well so how was it easy to leave tvt records like you said they let you guys go they just decided yeah. it was cool to let you go out of the contract we, we got lucky. formed your you got lucky yeah yeah okay. we got i mean i would say we got like they had the upper hand for sure like most labels do uh, and but when we you got, started rumble like how talk to me about the steps about how you guys formed your own label because you guys created that label to put out the well, ep yeah? that, that was just simply a, a way to get the music heard so that yeah. was just like you know we needed a way we needed an imprint like i'm doing yeah. i'm doing the same thing today with my label i just want yeah. a way for people to hear my music and so we knew yeah. that if we put that out and search for a D deal yeah um through god fuck i forgot the name of those guys see damn i forgot the name of the first guys um cool dude though he put the record out he did his job but it yeah. was the UK that licensed the record. We, we, I kept uh, hearing things about licensing back then. Like, yeah. if, you know, I had a few people in my ear saying, you know, don't sell the whole, you know, group to just one label that can do it worldwide. You know, yeah. put it out yeah. locally. Locally, we weren't getting love at mm. that point. We was starting a little talk here and there, but like nobody wanted our demo when we shopped it. Mm. Um, there was no labels knocking on our door at that time. So when Pius played against Sam out of the UK, reached right. out, we did um, a license. So yeah. we were able to retain the rights and that's when it took off. That's, it was, Rumble was a conduit, but it, 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 it didn't get us to the promised land. It was uh, uh, played against Sam and Carly Calf who signed us or licensed yeah. us sure. um, that you know, when they put it out and they extended it to all their little branches and then we start playing yeah. shows, it was just like, oh, here we fucking go. Yeah, um, but it it it, uh, it gave you something to license. So even though it, it gave didn't us something take to license. here. Yeah, yeah definitely. Smart. We needed we just needed something. We, we could have called it nothing records and it would have still would have did something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> totally. But we, we, we had fun during that era. It was very tricky to maneuver and get things out. And our whole thing was like, even on... The unified record uh we were like let's do shit like fondalum in new york let's do indie records you know yeah. like you know bobito was doing it like how come we don't see a lot of this on the west coast we were seeing mm -hmm. it in the 80s right like what uh like uh uh, uh mix master spade and shit like that right toddy mm -hmm. t those kind of records but this era of the 90s was coming in and it became i guess cool to be indie you know white label this and that whatever yeah. but it, it was fueling the artist to be indie. And so we were like, oh, we can use that. We can use another gas tank. Sure, let's be indie. You know, let's make it look indie. Yeah. Um, and we were pretty indie with, with the exception of having a pressing and distribution deal. But, you yeah. know, we had no college staff pushing us besides me and Soup calling people around like, hey, you should really play our record and cut right. selling the records out of the back of his Honda Civic. So, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, man, Shit. the hustle. And so that was it. Did you guys have management or anything at that time, or it was just you guys against the world? Not really, no. No, yeah. not really. I mean, it was a lot of talk about management, and we flirted yeah. with it, but it was 
no. It, by the time the EP was taken seriously, Dan became our manager, Dan Dalton. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was no no one over us going like, okay, guys, you got to show on this date. Here's your calendar, you know, doing yeah. the preps for like what a, a manager, what we would think of today would do. Yeah. There was just us and us go, yo, I think we should play a show. Should we play Lamert Park? Oh, okay. You know, all this stuff like was happening really yeah. quickly at this time. Right. Wild. So talk about the steps that um, led up from that EP. You guys started performing. It kind of started, play it again, Sam, licensed it, and it started getting bigger overseas. Um, talk about how that led to Interscope wanting to sign you guys and how the transition happened. We started touring in the UK and like really took off, got a, you know, our plaques out there and everything, you know, like, but the U.S. was still ignoring us, especially our backyard. L.A. wasn't really there. They knew we were doing well, but it wasn't yeah. until we really started saturating the market in the U.K. that our hometown started to embrace us. They're like, OK, mm -hmm. we should do a J5 show. It took yeah. a minute. It took a long yeah. time, actually. And um, well, a long time for when you're in your 20s. It's a short yeah. time now when I think about it. But when you're in your 20s, <laughs> like, when is it ever going to happen? You know, fuck. totally. Um, <laughs> so. We came back from the UK, you know, and it was like a deal from Columbia came in, a deal from Interscope came in, a deal from, I think, Geffen and a few other labels. A bunch of deals came in and we said we'd had dinner with all of them. Yeah. And we were we would tell them what we wanted over dinner and yeah. all of them ignored certain choice portions of what we wanted over dinner except for interscope they put their money where their mouth was hmm. and they it, it was reflected in the contract um, yeah. not so much in the in the sense of money but in the sense of other little things that we needed okay. and so um a lot of it had to do with freedom yeah. and um getting masters back and all kinds of shit so hmm. They, when you say getting masters back what do you mean like you they revert your masters the, yeah revert back after to a certain, a certain time. time yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. there, we, we had a great attorney at the time, Lisa Sokransky, who, who cared about our brand. And yeah. um, I'm still thankful for her for her input in, in doing what she did. Because um, yeah. I, I read the contract now, I'm like, she cared. Um, right. But the, the thing about it was um, I was in conflict of even signing with a major label at the time. I was still on the let's keep it indie bobito kind of thing let's continue the brand mm -hmm. and let them sign us as a label instead of as a group right the group the group didn't want to do that the group was very much like well actually let me backtrack at first i didn't want to sign a deal at all let's just stay indie and sell it ourselves mm -hmm. and then soup thank god said new no, you're tripping yeah. We need a fucking music video. And as you remember at that time, Dan, how much were music videos at that time? Fucking 150 to 250K. Like, shit was That's a grip, nice. right? Yeah. So when he said that, I was like, you checkmated me, Soup. And I was like, yeah. well, what if we do it as a label? And then I wasn't really getting the feel from the group that they wanted to sign as a label. So we signed it as a group um, with the stipulations that I was talking about earlier. And we yeah. were able to do something fun with them. They never got in our way. Wow, um, they never man. had creative control over us. But the one wow. fucked up thing that happened is the guy that signed us left to, to Warner Brothers like oh. 
Dan felt like a month after. I don't know. Dan Dalton will remember more than me, but it felt yeah. like a month to me. It was like almost immediately. So Tom yeah. Wally, who who left and went to Warner Brothers, yeah, he was the co-owner with Jimmy Iovine, yeah, bounced and went to Warner right after he signed Dang. us. So That's we such were, a common thing. yeah. So yeah. we were the mes- misfits of that group, and Iovine was like, I got Dre, Fifty, Eminem. What's this? Uh, Black Eyed Peas, who, who hadn't blown up yet. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. What's this J Five thing? What am I supposed to do that? But meanwhile, you know, we weren't getting radio play. But meanwhile, we would just have the lines wrapped around the block no matter where we played. So it was this weird, we were in this strange music industry nook, right, where you're not on the radio. They don't know where to place you. They don't know if you're in black radio, K-Rock. They don't know where to place you, what to do, but they're seeing numbers. And they're seeing sales of the the album, uh, especially first week. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing, you know, not through the roof or anything like that. I mean, we went gold, but it wasn't like fucking you know the groups at their time yeah. wasn't like 50 cent and eminem and, and dre <laughs> so yeah. we were in a strange um uh predicament man i don't even know what would be a predicament i kind of liked it in a way because it showed me very early at a young age as a kid that you can make it in this industry if you have a proper show mm-hmm. and if you deliver music that speaks to people right um and it doesn't have to fit in a box right you know, that it taught me that what I was feeling since I was that 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid was true. Mm-hmm. You can you can dream. You can explore. You don't have to cheat people and fucking, you know, uh, uh, sign a dude and not pay him and yeah. fucking all this shit. You don't have to do any of that shit. You just have to be true to yourself and fucking keep your chin up, chest out, and fucking tell people who you are. This is what I do, you know? And I'm proud of this. I'm proud of the old fall. school. Yeah, I'm proud of the old school. I'm proud of the roots of this shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and just, for me, I was like, all right, yeah, it would be great if we are on the radio, but all good. Yeah, but talk about that because you brought up a good point. You know, I was hanging out with Will and those guys back then, and, like, their first three records didn't really do anywhere close to what Interscope was hoping for. Yeah. And... uh well, I never thought that they were an underground group, though, either. Yeah. But but right. everybody disagrees with me, or, or at least I see things that were like, yeah, I remember when they were the original Black Eyed Peas, they do all the underground yeah. stuff. I'm like, I never heard it as underground music. I heard it as yeah. these guys had, hadn't really found their voice yet. That's I yeah. always heard that. And I wish yeah. I was closer with Will back yeah. then, because I would have been like, you're almost there. You should, you should. And, and he found it out by himself. He fucking, sure. he didn't need nobody, actually. He fucking just catapulted that shit into the next stratosphere and was like no fuck this we're making pop music that's gonna fuck your head up and and man (laughs) you know they found their they found their voice sometimes it takes a long time to find your voice and truthfully speaking dan like i didn't i don't feel like i found my voice as a producer until power numbers j5's Mm. well third release yeah so it wasn't until i got my own studio my own monitors yeah i was like fuck this you know and was like, yeah. you know, quality control. I liked the record. I liked what I did on it. Mm-hmm. It's by no means my favorite J5 record. And I know that I was lost, mm. you know, <laughs> excuse the pun. How but so? I, I, I wasn't, um, there were some cool things on there that I did, right? I, I liked what I did with Monkey Bars and I liked what Dress Finish yeah. First and a few things on there. Um, like I, I really liked uh, Swing Set that I did with Cut. Yeah, but I wasn't. Um, it's hard to put in words. I, I hadn't found my inner 
voice yet. Yeah. I was exploring and having fun with the group. You know, I had the 13 year old part, but I hadn't <laughs> found, okay, but now what? I hadn't found the, but now what? I hadn't found the, but who are you? Hmm. You know, and it wasn't until I think power numbers that I was like, okay, this is who I am. Yeah. And that's, that's why what's golden was, was made in that album. And I was comfortable in my own studio setting as well. Yeah. And I, I had always had a tough time going to bouncing from studio A to studio B to studio C and going, damn, is that a true representation to my snare? Mm. Like, I can't tell. I have no reference because I don't know his speakers. You know, yeah. it, it was it was a sonic thing. It was a feel thing. It was the pressure of delivering a record under um, a deadline. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, the, the normal shit competing with other music at the time. But, you know, I couldn't think that big because it would drive me nuts. But yeah. Um, yeah, so it wasn't until that record. I was like, I'm at home. I bought my first crib. Yeah, I paid it off. Let's do yeah. it. You know, I was comfortable. I was I didn't have that stress I talked about earlier. And I was like, well, if I brick, who gives a shit? You know, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm comfortable when I'm making something. I know I've proven from the last two records that can stand up on their own. Yeah. Like so. Yeah. Incredible. So talk about uh, you were talking about your attorney that helped you with the deal with Interscope. How did you find her? And uh, I mean, that's such an important thing for people who are dealing I think trying she was, to get into this business. Yeah. I think Lisa was already working with Ozil Motley, if I'm not mistaken. And then, oh, okay. yeah, we got introduced to her. And I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Recommendation mm -hmm. from friends is always the best. The importance to stay connected to your music friends. Just because this is like the whole podcast is trying to be helpful for people trying to get into this. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about the importance of writing credits and publishing when you're making music? Yeah. And how that's worked out and how you've worked that out in the past? Yeah. Don't fuck with samples. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Headline. I couldn't resist, Dan. I know you appreciate it. You're a good musician, baby. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's great to write your own music and to collaborate with other writers. And you'll see sure. that a lot right now with, with pop acts. Like, I mean, I, um, I'm recently working on a, a all covers record and I saw that one of the covers had like eight or nine writers on it. And I was like, damn, man, like, is that how these dudes are making hit records? Like, and so yeah. me and my best friend talk about it all the time. He's like, yo, there's like 10 or 12 writers on this fucking joint. And then, yeah. you know, then you make the argument, well, yeah, one's a rap and one's, I'm like, it's still a writer. Like everybody's a writer. So everyone's yeah. trying to get around the sample thing or if yeah. there might be a sample included and then you have even more writers. But to answer your right. question, you know, if, if, if you're musically inclined, you know, you should really take advantage of writing your own shit, spending time and collaborating with other people that could write melodies or harmonies that you can't. Um, don't be, never be afraid to split the pie with someone that, you know, can actually catapult you to another level in your music production or the specific song that you're working on. Right. Um, it's really key. Um, and I unfortunately learned that very late in life. I was very dependent on records and it was just because we would spend so much time going around the world, digging in basements and flea markets charity shops as they call them in the uk uh yeah. <laughs> at, at flea markets waking up at 4 a.m you know like we spent so much time in that world that it would have been a shame not to chop up release and uh rebirth what was happening from 68 to 74 in our digging experiences yeah. so coming out of that it, it it just became even more powerful writing your own 
parts, your own bass lines, drum parts, of course, whatever. That doesn't really count as writing, but right. it, it's just, um, it, it's a check that arrives all the time and they haven't stopped coming, thank God. Yeah. And um, your licensing capabilities, especially if you own the master, become much easier. Yeah. And, you know, right now I'm, I'm fully immersed in the motion picture and television industry just came off of doing, a, 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 God, I don't know, 60% of the beat, 70% of the beats, I don't know, of, of Tom and Jerry that came out the animation. Oh, wow. And, uh, helping out the um, Chris Leonard's who, who did the score. Yeah. Um, and so, like, writing parts is important, you know. On that yeah. one, I only got one writers, but that's cool. I'll take one. Just I keep knocking yeah. on that door, like, just let me in. But I did a lot of beats, and I'm learning how to navigate to when the director goes, this needs to sound, um, uh, this needs to sound melancholy, you know, and you have yeah. to think to yourself, okay, without using records, without using samples, without yeah. sampling off of YouTube, whatever you, you do at home when you're making yeah. beats, yeah. how do I make something sound melancholy? Or how yeah. do I make something sound exuberant? And so taking adjectives and translating them to a musical feel has been my new adventure. And it's yeah. helped me in music production when I'm making my upcoming albums as, as well. I'm getting more comfortable with my plugins, getting more right. comfortable with, with musicians I bring in, with you, Dan, when you come in. You know, all the people that I work with, I'm like, I know how to speak to them because I know where their strengths are now. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's multifaceted. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really interesting point because, you know, as me coming up on, on kind of the opposite end with learning instruments first is like, that's something you kind of quickly latch onto is like, how do I create something that sounds sad? Or how do I make something that yeah. sounds melan melancholy or yeah. tense or, yeah. you know, all these adjectives. Yeah. But it's like, that's, that's the key to it right there is kind of breaking yeah. down. How, how did you figure it out? Did you just listen to records that had those aspects and then kind of figure out the chord, what the chord progressions were or the, what the melodies were doing? I have a lot of library records. Yeah. And uh, for those at home that don't, I, I don't know how savvy this audience is, but I, the, for those who don't know what library records are, they, you know, there were records that weren't meant to be sold, but they were sent to motion picture houses and television houses. And like, you can use right. this, you can license this from us. And it's a part of music that's usually around a minute long or so, or a full song that has no right. lyrics on it that, and it has, you know, next to it, joyous. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's tell you the mood. And so yeah. I refer to those again. I went back to those again. I even flirted Smart. with the idea of making a, a library record in yeah. this current state, but it's things are kind of different now. Everybody's uh, shopping things to music houses in different ways now. So I kind of abandoned that idea. Um, but that said, I would listen to those or go to YouTube. Um, like right now, I'm struggling with a cue for a podcast that I'm working on for... Um, uh, the food people uh, for okay. Bon Appetit, and I'm I'm yeah. struggling with curious. So they're like, mm. this needs to sound curious, but it needs to be related to the theme that you've already delivered. So I delivered the theme song. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, but my theme doesn't feel like curious. So mm. it's like dual, like it's knocking me in the chin twice, right? So. Right. And curious to answer your question, like how do I get to it? Is like, when you think curious, you think of oh, hmm, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. The sw the swoop up. Sure. So instruments do that, you know. Right. But my struggle with that particular cue is that curious can very quickly be, in my case, kind of a, a, a um, PI or detective E. 
mm. and you don't want to go too dark. So it's like a fine line between the curious and the, you know, dunk, 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 right. you know, <laughs> right. Peter Sellers, you know, it could right. get very, you know, <laughs> right. So exactly. it, you run into these things, you run into these things and you, and you like, this is how you learn. You keep falling on your face and. Yeah. As I'm getting older, I don't mind getting the mud kicked in my face. I'm just like, ah, cool. I learned something today. Awesome. Yep. I'll take That's... the L. I'll get at it tomorrow morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Get some sleep, get some Shit. fresh ears, and try yeah. it again tomorrow. Absolutely. Dang, well, so how did you talk to me about um, your path into creating film music and TV music? Because you've done quite a bit of it. I was looking up at your credits yesterday and you did like the green zone with matt damon you did stuff for hollywood homicide with harrison ford right along too with ice cube and kevin hart like you've done all kinds of cool stuff talk to me about how you first got into that and your adventures in it i think my first one was through this cat that worked with um adam sandler he uh is oh. a guy named aaron zigman and he was doing a lot of the scoring back then and yeah. I, I imagine he's still doing it now i haven't talked to aaron in a long time i need to find that dude but yeah. aaron called me in for a scratch section session he went I, I need scratches scratches on this and then i did some scratches at his house hmm. and i was like looking around I'm like saw how he's living i'm like damn this dude is he's living right this is how i should be living <laughs> yeah right. and you know right. the guys who score the the movies they, they they get laced man they're paid you know and and rightfully so they have so much skill they can work yeah. an orchestra they can you know they know theory yeah. like inside and out. And he was painting moods left and right. He was playing me a Brazilian cue that blew my fucking socks off. I mean, mm. if I ever see him again, I, and I even asked him, yo, dude, what would it take for me to sample this for my group? I really yeah. want this cue, you know, and it just it couldn't, it couldn't make it happen because it belonged to the motion picture, right? Uh. At any rate, um, I did some scratches for him. He was like, man, that's really cool, man. He's like, you're kind of approaching it from a producer standpoint. I'm like, well, I just figured that's what you want because it's for a motion picture. And he's like, hey, man, can you program something? And so I, I think I did one or two other things for him for a scene on the beach with this big woman, like this fat woman, and it's like a comedy scene. Yeah. I've always been into comedy, Dan. I guess I should be – I mean, I guess anybody who <laughs> knows me knows that. If they look at my Instagram, they'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? But uh, <laughs> Your Instagram posts, in, a, in addition to a couple other friends of mine, just keep me going, laughing all the time. Man. It's great. either that or coffee shit. Um, so <laughs> – uh what's it called uh, so i did that with him and then i he referred me to adam sandler and then yeah. adam had a comedy album and so i did all the scratches on that and then oh, okay. some time lapsed and i started working with um this guy todd bozung who recently passed away uh that's my brother mm -hmm. I, I miss him so much he 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 brought me into the fold because he well he kind of cold called me and said hey man i i I've, I've listened to all your shit and like out of all the drastic stuff, I'm really gravitating towards your beats. Can I bring yeah. you in on this project? I have a friend who has a project. So I work with a music supervisor named Spring Aspers at Screen Gems, hmm. did a mix for her. It did some light production work. And then I work with Todd again on Ride Along 1, Ride Along 2. And it just so happened on Ride Along 1 or Ride Along 2 with Kevin Hart and Ice Cube. It's, it was the same guy scoring it. Christopher Leonard's and the same crew of people. So I learned how to talk. I learned how to deliver my cues, learned how to help out. And at that point I was just tracing what they're doing, you know, like they're, they have a scene and he has like maybe orchestral parts in place, but it's an alley fight, you know, I need yeah. to sound rugged and urban. And so they give it to me and I 
texturize the shit out of it and sure, do sure. maybe add a bass line, add different drums, of course, you know, take, take out the or orchestration and put something else, you know, um, right. cuts and scratches, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, and I've just been knocking on this door for the last 10, 12 years and they're spoon feed me little things. And this yeah. is all in hopes for me to, you know, score something one day myself because um, I got a lot of ideas in score world and I'm, I'm, I'm achieving do, feel right now. I'm a learning feel. Right. Yeah, I just, uh, I just had, it was, it was the most beautiful realization, but I just heard, uh, I listen to Mark Maron's podcast all the time and he just had uh, Danny Elfman on. Oh man. And he was talking about Danny and how just his relationship with Tim Burton came about and he, <sighs> Tim was a big Oingo Boingo fan. And oh, so, uh, you know, listen to the podcast for the full story. But basically he was, he, he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure, got a lot of acclaim. That was, t that was Danny's first movie. Right. And uh, has since done like 17 movies with Tim, but he would do like four in between. And after a while, Tim was like, you know, why do you keep uh, doing all these movies? Am I not taking care of you well enough or whatever? He's right. like, I'm trying to figure out how to do this, man. Like, That's I don't know right. how to do this. So, so I have the man, this is really beautiful to hear, Dan, honestly, because like this is the podcast that I mentioned a little while back. It's like, yeah, very low budget. And I, I'm yeah. taking it because I want to learn. Yeah. But it's getting in the way of my other the world's opening up now. And like, you know, I got a Wu Tang and fucking big boy show coming up in Denver. I got this thing oh. with Tristan Eaton coming up. I got a lot yeah. of, you know, people are like, hey, do you want to DJ again? I'm like, yes, please get <laughs> yeah. me the fuck out of the house. Like, yeah, you know, right. uh, so I'm, it's good to know that I have a similar philosophy uh, to my hero, Danny Elfman, because oh, that's um, I think the, the more times you throw at the target, at the very least, you're going to learn something new, you know, and Absolutely. that's where I'm at right now. I just want to I want to get to another level in my production. I want to enjoy this uh, as yeah. an old man. I want to be able to walk on stage with a cane and still play 45. Seriously, like, I mean, right. I look at my career like B.B. King, you know, dragging yeah. Lucille on, on stage <laughs> and just still murdering shit. Like, that's how totally. I mean, I'm in it for the gusto, you know, as as Raekwon said, you know. Yeah. So, man. I mean. Yeah, it's really cool to hear that, Dan. That was the coolest thing I've heard all week, bro. He that podcast it just blew me away. I was I took my son to the skate park with his buddies, and I was just sitting in the car uh, and listening to it, and it was just like, damn, it was the best interview. I love Mark's interviews, but um, yeah, this one with Danny was just like, holy smokes, it was just beautiful. Yeah, you'll enjoy it, man. Take a minute, hey and man. And you it. know what's crazy about that is I heard he doesn't even do interviews. I know. I this. I never see anything with him. So I was like, Danny. He's got Danny Elfman on. Holy shit! I gotta so, listen to this. Man, I, I want to know what that bribe looked like. I don't know, man. <laughs> but it was. That's like... a joke, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Danny he, used to live in Topanga. I used to deliver pizza to him, but I never stop. got to you know super wow. chat with him. So it was cool to listen to him talk, man. Yeah. Cause he's just such a smart dude. Hey, man. The Simpsons alone. That score is ridiculous, <laughs> dude. Like. I know. Sounds like a roller coaster, the whole fucking thing. I know. Well, so um, who talk to me about since you've gotten into all this? Are you in like who's who's hustling your sinks for you? Who's getting your stuff in? You don't have to mention names if you don't want to, but how are you going about getting your music placed in TV, film, and gaming, and all that? What's your strategy I'll, with all that? Well, because I've spent so much time talking to supervisors and music editors yeah. um i'm doing it myself at the moment 
Uh, Well, no, I should say I have been doing it by myself up until this point, and I've, thank God, have had some cool placements. But um, recently I just signed my digital... um, digital rights to a company called Symphonic and they're going to okay. take over and there's a, they have a subdivision called Bodega that does uh, hmm. licensing or, or does, you know, does the shopping for you. So I'm doing a year deal. I'm, I'm not doing anything more than a year at, at my age. I'm like, gotcha. how do you sh- show me something in a year? Right. <laughs> I right. think it's enough time, right, Dan? And I so, think that's how it yeah. goes, you know, with yeah. most of these people who are trying to hustle sinks for you is you give yeah. them a one year and see what they do. Yeah. You know? And they're good dudes and they're, you know, so far so good. So they will be, putting out my upcoming release called run for cover which is an all covers record oh, and sick. um yeah and so i gave them a bunch of songs of license that are sample free or you know cleared or whatever and like uh, right. see what it does one stop um, shop but i always talk to, to supervisors and i always you know at the very least go hey you know you should check out you know it's not always about me that's the other thing like i Sure. Like even on my social media, like if, if you say, hey, new, I have a new release and you know, we're buddies and I know it's good shit, I put it on my story. So like yeah. when I talk to supervisors, I'm like, you should really check out this producer, this kid theory has it. He's yeah. dope. You should like I talk to them about people so they know I'm not just, hey, look at me, 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 me. I'm on my own dick the whole time because like, that, that right, right. only goes so far. Right. And sure. And, and look, honestly speaking, there's times where I'm so busy maybe working on a queue or working on a podcast or something that I don't have anything fresh ready to go for them. But I right. still keep the relationship. And and honestly, these dudes I like talking to. Like I love talking to my friend Angela Lewis, you know. Like I yeah. like I like, you know, being in contact with them, you know. Sure, I, sure. They're they're fun people to talk to and you know, I always trip out on music supervisors and editors. I'm like, You guys are DJs for movies. This is so fucking dope. Like I know. I what know. kind of dream job? Like my boy Todd that passed, I'm like, dude, you're a DJ for a movie, man. Like or for movies yeah. and you're independent, you're a fucking G, man. Like how how lucky, yeah. you know, and he, he would always laugh. He's like, no way, man, you got the rock style life. I'm like, nah, man, uh, this is what you're doing is, is, is cool. So well, the you thing know. You, we all have in common is just like that's that um, incredible feeling when we hear a record that just blows our mind is yeah. sharing it with other people, man, whether it's yeah. ours, hopefully, you know, that'll or never go away. It's someone else's, you know, it yeah. never goes away. Thank God. That'll never go away. And, and there's and there's a lot of good music right now. So it's like, fuck, yeah, it's it's con- this keeps happening. So when I see people saying there's no good shit, I'm like, man, you're not you're not looking because there's some right. insane shit right now. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's to the detriment of maybe less promotion or so many things being flooded in the music space. But there's that's good shit. True. If you keep your ears open, you can find it. That's for sure. That's right. I was just talking to Jack and Miles Brown, and they brought up Theory Has It too because he did some beats on Miles's record. Which oh, is cool. Pretty cool. Did he really? Uh, yeah, Damn. yeah. Oh shit, I think that's right. I, oh, maybe he did it on Jack's record. They both mm-hmm. Miles put out a record, and Jack has a record coming out. I, maybe it was Jack's new record. I can't remember, but uh-huh. anyway, yeah. So, someone to look out for for sure. That's the yeah. second time his name's come up. Well, so um, we don't have too much time here left, but um, I don't want to keep you forever. But I want to. I wanted to talk about um, your Zodiac track series and. Um, Man, it's just so impressive on so many levels. Um, how do you prepare for each episode? How much time goes into researching to make these sets cohesive, not only with regards to the artists and the signs of people and their birthdays, but re- with regards to making it musically cohesive at the same time? Yeah, it's it's tough to answer that. And that's the most asked question I get for concerning Zodiac tracks. Um, okay. But 
I'll try to, I'll try my best. So like getting the signs together is a whole mission in itself. So, yeah. you know, scouring the net or looking through your record collection, like, oh, you know, I should really represent exhibit, you know, because he's, he, he, he made some key songs and did a change in 90s, whatever, you know, and, you know, yeah. certain things sit with you, important artists or um, artists that would make for good segues into the next artist. So there was a good portion of my time before I even started the mixes, just gathering birthdays. Yeah. And I think the hardest part about that <laughs> partition of Zodiac tracks was the misinformation on the net. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, to this day, I think there's two birthdays for MF Doom. I don't know if that's true. Um, there's, you know, there's people that have two different birthdays. There's people that are very secretive about their birthdays. There's, okay. you know, um, well, what's it called? Uh, um, uh, I forget the name of the website, damn. But, but there's sites that have information that are, that are incorrect. And yeah. so double checking my work was a trip. Um, <laughs> so there's that portion. Um, I don't know how to put that into time for you, Dan, but I know that no, I spent a- some, I, I know I spent at least, you know, a week looking around for birthdays, you know, uh, yeah. in my leisurely time when I was like, well, I, I need to do something constant and I need to do something that is opposite of celebrating when people die, which I'm not into. Yeah. Um, I wanted to celebrate people's birth and right. what they're about while they're here. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, there's that. Okay. So then, but then the prep of the mix, Yeah. my, my biggest pitfall with that was not having the hip hop record. I'm ashamed to say that. So like I, in my head would think, okay, I have react by, you know, um, Eric Sermon, hmm. you know, um, but I didn't have the 12 inch. I had it in Serato, you know, because mm. it was one of those records as right when Serato came into play. So I would, yeah. you know, do the flurry on Discogs or go to Amiibo or go whatever I could to find the hip hop record. <laughs> but I would have like the original samples. I had all the original samples, but I didn't have the hip hop records that I was trying yeah. to celebrate. And the right. whole point of Zodiac Tracks is to like get in as many birthdays as possible for that specific month. So if I'm in sure. Gemini and it's like Ice Cube, Kanye, you know, Lauren Hill, myself, whatever, you know, these are all Geminis. And so the yeah. whole point is to get as many in as you can, you know. Yeah. Um, and I try my best to find who they sampled and weave that in, and especially if they're the same sign. That's yeah. when it's like, I'm like, yeah, the fucking guy that he sampled <laughs> is the same sign as him? How gangster is that? I, I did one in Scorpio that was so fucking ill. It was like, both MCs were the same sign, and then the guy that they sampled was the same sign. And I was like, fuck yeah, that was a fucking three for one, baby. So, you know, my, my whole shit is to celebrate birthdays, right? Is to celebrate yeah. as many Zodiacs, you know, yeah. tracks as, as I can. So um, the actual, to get to your question, the, the actual rehearsing for the performance was, it's always a day, just like one yeah. day of me going through it. And then and it always takes me between one and five takes to actually execute it in one cohesive take where there's no break in the camera. Um, And my man, Pablo Aguilar can attest to that. He was here filming it (laughs) like, okay, do it again. But I miss, I I didn't get that part or you fucked up on this part or whatever. So, um, so the performance part wasn't hard. It's just like not having the records was to answer your question. The the hardest part about it, like not having like, Oh, if I just had this, so-and-so hip-hop record if i just had you know uh, fucking snoop's first lp you know whatever yeah. you know right yeah that well i mean 
coming from someone me that's you know trying to up my game as a dj and just trying to get my basic shit together the fact that you're getting those performances in one to five takes it's a testament to how flipping talented you are bro <laughs> it's incredible man incredible uh, it means a lot coming from you dan thank you oh it's true man it's it's, it's incredible um well your hustle is noteworthy in so many facets man and i wanted to talk to you about just personally with your branding and your merchandising and social media do you have someone that helps you with that you have a business manager that strategizes and figures out the best ways to kind of push your brands forward no no doing it all yourself <laughs> incredible <laughs> That's another even more impressive, another man. no dan another no well i had a manager for a while do you and, ever sleep you know, newmark that's the that's the other i question. sleep a lot man actually i mean <laughs> i i mean i'm one of these people that like you know i i think i'm at the, at the at the stage where i only walk into my studio when i have something to say now like i yeah. i don't get me wrong. I come in here and I play. I have to touch and feel it, even though I'm not putting it out. Whatever it is, you'll never see the light of day. Probably ninety percent of my beats. Yeah. But when I'm when I'm serious, I'm like, oh shit, I got an idea. I come in here and do it. And and sometimes it makes it, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So I think that's how I'm different from I was in my twenties when I would make myself. You know, the quality control record that I was talking about. I was making yeah. myself do it, and I would make myself go to someone else's studio, and it was like. You have to do it because you have the contract and you are a musician new, you know, right. you should be at the level of cut or shadow or yada, yada, black eyed peas, whatever's happening around, you know, all the yeah. noise. And yeah. now I'm in a stage where I have my own label. I can put it out if I want. And I just, I, I feel not to sound like a fucking cheese dick, but I feel like I've already said what I had to say and, and mm. I proved myself in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and now, so I just, I just want to put out dope shit now. Like I, if yeah, it won't leave my studio unless I go to myself. Okay. If that bricks new, you have no reason to be pissed. Cause you did your best. That's how I, right. I look at it now. Where in the past. I was just like, I have to meet this deadline. Fuck. You know, mm -hmm. I'm working for somebody else basically. Right. Right, um, right. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but I mean, no, that does. Yeah. That's a, that's a good place to be, man. Only come in when inspiration hits and uh, just, that that's something I think a lot of people don't talk about is just, you know, you you think of people like Bob Dylan and just any creative people. How much how how important it is to just get stuff out when you're feeling it. You know, like man, people get so caught up in like I don't know if this is good enough to record. I don't you know blah blah blah. Yeah. It's like just go out there and lay it down. And you know, if you don't end up using it, don't use it. But like. Yeah. When you're feeling any idea, get out there and record it, you know? Yeah, I know I just said that I, I 80% of my shit doesn't come out, but I've been trying very hard to do what you what you just said because one of my boys was just saying, well, it's not about what you think. It's about, like, how they perceive your shit. And I was just right. like, at first I was like, ah, you know, but I was like, no, don't tell me, you know? And then I was like, huh, it's interesting, you know? I, and I think that's like Mad Lib's approach. You know, he keeps yeah. throwing at the target, you know? Sure. A lot of those beat tapes he did weren't even beats. They were just records yeah. as interludes, right. you know, and <laughs> right, right. right. I mean, and, yeah. and, and look, that's not a knock. That, that's my, that's my boy, you know, yeah. and, and he, he's done it. He did it. And he's Amazing. like, will forever be legendary because he keeps throwing at the fucking target. You yeah. know, the, the days of putting out a record and being, uh, having the mystique and disappearing for three years, that shit is dead. Yeah. Uh, you got to kind of stay in people's faces. I'm talking, I guess, for the, 
uh, from the standpoint of um, not success, but the standpoint of, of, I guess, relevance, staying around, people caring, well, yeah. you know, people yeah, giving I mean, a shit, it, you know, like, you it know, seems it, like it's all about just like, I mean, these days it's more about the lifestyle and I don't mean lifestyle, like look at my bling and everything, but yeah, uh, it's, it's more about just like, you're right. There's so much music and content constantly coming at people on social media, which is how most people find out about stuff. Yeah. But it's like you you do you have to stay in people's faces and just be like, Look, I'm still out here just doing shit all the time, you know, right. And, and that's kind of another reason, or that was kind of one of the reasons why Zodiac tracks was born to just kind of circle back is, it's like, well, yeah. I want to do I don't really do much DJ shit online. I, you know, I do a few posts mm -hmm. here from the shows I played, but it's right. It always felt very much like look at me, look at me. Um, like, like look where I was at. It felt like, you know, right. and I, I'm a different person now. Like yeah. in my twenties, it's cool to say, yo, I just got back from Rome. I just got, you know, but now I'm in a place where I, you know, I kind of want to start giving back <laughs> and yeah. celebrate the birthdays, you know, while showing what I do for a living, you know, and showing the, the history I have with music and the kind of shit I collect and mm -hmm. the kind of shit I just discovered. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. And, and I guess that kind of brought me into the Method Man thing uh, because I wanted him to help me celebrate the end of it. <laughs> you know, I was like, yo, yeah. I, ce I celebrated you on the first series, so please help me celebrate the end of it. <laughs> and man, it came, it, it came out so incredible, man. I'm so incredibly proud to be part of that single, man. Thanks wow. to you, Dan. Fuck, I mean, uh, for those that don't know, uh, I had an, a musical idea and Dan executed damn near every instrument on that joint. <laughs> And uh, with the help of my man, Money Mark, and yeah. uh, for those who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, we did a song called Zodiac Killer, featuring yes. Method Man, and my man Dan got busy on guitar, bass, tambourine. I got to be on a um, track with you, Meth, and Money Mark. Like, Money Mark, I, you yeah. Know, I'm happy, Money Mark man. on keys, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like crazy. And I knew you were the guy to call, and it, it just made sense, man. And, and uh, I, you and I have been talking about working together for the longest of time <laughs> it's been way too long so, and, and we finally made it happen it made sense and um i'm, I'm just so happy to be a part of it with you dude dude people love that single too right on still people yeah. always asking me about that well with our last couple minutes here i just it's a fun way to end it but um let's talk about your favorite producers that are your guiding lights in terms of talent ears business savvy who do you look to who are kind of your uh your guiding lights in that respect um uh, well i'd have to start with quincy jones yeah. um i can't even like just saying his name i get goosebumps because i just <laughs> i just get a bunch of like records that come into my brain when i say quincy you know yeah. just summer in the city alone when i listen to it i'm just like god damn man like i was talking to cut about it yesterday actually yeah and, and he was like he's he says something like it brings you to different scenes. It brings you to different worlds or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm feeling, but I didn't know how to express it the way you did. And I think that's what it is. And, it, and the thing I like about it, which I'm not very good at that I'm working very hard on uh, with motion picture and television and, and my upcoming album is, is the, uh, the impending event. That's what my dad used to call it, which is, hmm. it's a speech technique. Whereas you go like, what I'm about to tell you is, gonna blow your mind the thing i'm about to tell you is so cool it'll revolutionize the way you think yeah when i tell you what i'm about to tell you and you're like well what the fuck is it you know and so that was my dad's thing as a speech professor and i think quincy does that in 
that specific song. It's Summer in the City. It's like, well, where are we going fucking next, man? Like, yeah, yeah. and he takes his time with it. That's the key. It's it's a slow tempo. Everything's breathing. Yeah. Fucking Quincy, man. Fucking Quincy. Yeah, he just. It's just endless. Just, Talking a master of moods, man. I mean, uh, like from that to like something like the Lost Man, that Brazilian soundtrack he did, and then there's like snow creatures and it, like it never ends so, it's never ending there's it, record it, after record it's crazy and there's certain producers you know like and not to be fucking debbie downer but you know you'll never be that good like you know yeah. and i wouldn't even put myself <laughs> in the same category you so but look there's a sense of uh um, um relief by yeah. knowing that there's a sense yeah. of like man i could just get lost in this and not have to study it i don't want to study it i just yeah. want to fucking bask in it i want to vacuum to this shit you know? I, know, I want to vacuum yeah. my fucking studio floor to this, you know, and just <laughs> totally. feel and feel something. I don't want to fucking analyze. And I'm doing yeah. a new thing on my IG where I'm just like, just thinking. I mean, I mean, not thinking, just listening or whatever. When I play a record that I'm like, I'll never be able to do this. This is just like insanity, like straight one shot to the fucking heart. But yeah, well, anyway, that was the scenic route. Sorry. Um, Quincy's mm-hmm. one, you know, for business savvy and of course sound, Dre. Um, but like my heart and soul is like with like DITC, mm-hmm. you know, all those producers, you know, fucking Lord Finesse and uh, my Diamond man D. Diamond D and you know, all those dudes were just, they were bringing into fruition what I was doing on the road, which was digging like crazy. Yeah. And they were making it a, a, a reality. Yeah. Um, I love high tech. Um, I, Jay Dillo is probably my favorite of all time in hip hop. I mean, yeah. there's, this, there's, you know, he's one of those guys that like, <laughs> just makes you shake your fucking head. Like, it's like, <laughs> I got to a point in my production, Dan, where I was like, damn, I got fucking good drums. Like I'm, I'm programming good drums. And then you hear his shit and you're like, what in the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. Like what <laughs> happened? And it, the, this whole approach, I mean, it's been said probably a million times, but I'll just say it the way I, I know how to say it. And I think you revolutionize pocket and spacing, mm. you know, you, you, the first snare is late creating a yep. pocket, creating a pocket from the first kick to the first snare. So you have more room to EQ now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking nuts and then the next snare comes early so it throws your timing off so now your head wants to move with it it's just ah fuck (laughs) insanity and then we're not even talking about the ridiculous melodies and the the great records that he selected or uh, that he flipped i'll say um his drum programming his eqing his outboard gear you can tell shit's popping he knows how to compress He, he has it's just too many damn things to list on Dilla. So yeah, I think those are those are good three. Quincy, those Dre, are... and Dilla shit. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I love Timbaland though, by the way. I mean, because okay. I, I, I love the um, capability of bringing in ethnic sounds and mm-hmm. uh, flipping those. And he, he does that proper, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that he brought in Middle Eastern and, and Indian influences. That's that's my kind of shit. I mean, it's, it, he, he did it in a pop sense. Come on, man. That's, that's, that's hustle. That's real hustle absolutely it is wow um all right last question who would you love to work with that you haven't worked with yet no Mm. um i need to work with with de la soul Mm -hmm. And, and and not there's a lot of overlaps and there's a lot of things i know i could contribute it's not so much from my standpoint like a notch on my belt 
Yeah. It's more for from the standpoint of like I know what I can contribute. Yeah. And um, I love those guys. Like I mean, I, I love them as people. Yeah, they're good um, people. I mean, I love their music. Don't get me wrong. Of course, I love their music. I mean, who doesn't? Shit. But I know there would be something very um, explosive in the studio popping off the way I think. And, and I and I think there's a, there would be a tremendous amount of growth. I, w- I know I would walk away learning from some crazy shit. I like that they always were like, you know, okay, we're going to do this part here. Then that's going to jump over there. And then there's going to be something very strange that happens. And then, you know, I like this. <laughs> yeah. I like this thing of like unexpected left turns. I'm, I'm into that shit. And um, right. yeah, uh, Farrell Munch, I, 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 it has to happen. I work with him indirectly through this group called Hilltop Hoods, who are like one of the illest out of Australia. They, they're huge. Hmm. But I guess they shot. I got to check I, that I, out. They, 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 to, they, they called me mad one day because they said they shopped Farrell something like 20-some beats, and then I gave him two beats, and they, he picked mine. Ooh, <laughs> so it was a collaboration. Sick. It was a collaboration with Hilltop Hoods and Farrell Munch, and I ended up produce, producing it. But I still Ooh, don't I feel like I've worked. That. Yeah, I feel like. I, it, uh, fuck, what's the name of that shit? Classic Example is the name of the song by Hilltop Dang. Hoods. Oh, man. Um, what a great name for a group, too. Hilltop Hoods. That's good. Yeah. But I feel like I need to work with Farrell directly. There's a lot I can. Yeah. I think we would get lost in the studio. And, and, I, and I know I can hear, already hear it. I can already hear what, it, what has to happen. I'm a huge. <laughs> he's, Farrell's like in my top three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd like to. I don't know. Is that a? There's someone else I'd like to work with. I, you know, honestly, I I want to whack at working with uh with Jay Z. Yeah. I know. I know something great could come out of it, but I mean, you know, it's Jay Z. So you know. Hey man. But yeah, it's these it's, are the words that it's we on my manifest. Mind. Yeah, yeah we gotta, these are the man- words that I manifest. We yeah. gotta manifest them, man. If we put them out there, <laughs> you never know, man. But That's I right. would love to hear records with you and all of those people. But uh, man, you, Poss, Dave, and Maceo—that would be crazy, crazy. Yeah. I, get, I think their smokes. new album is with um, the new album they're doing with Pete Rock and um, in Premiere. Yeah. So that's right, fucking gonna right. be insanity. So we I have know. something very nice to look forward to. Totally. Well, Newmark, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this with me, man. I so appreciate you. My brother. And uh, It's an honor to talk to someone as gifted as you and someone that's like that clued in to funk, soul, hip-hop, and knows his instruments so well and has an appreciation for DJs. I mean, it's a, very few minds are, are like yours, my friend. It's, it's, it's refreshing to talk to someone with an open mind like yours. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you, thank you. I'm constantly trying to learn. That's it. Same as you. Yes, sir. Well, thank you. I love you, brother. And uh, thanks once again. Love you more, brother. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conduit. The Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and DanUbeProductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We edit podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Shure, and Avid. I'd like to dedicate this episode of The Conduit to DJ Newmark's friend, Todd Bozon, music supervisor extraordinaire. Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power, Bill Coulter, and Alex Dezer. 
And last but not least, go check out Soul Picnic, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.